0: Hi, everyone. I just want to jump in and let you know that this is already the 22nd episode of our podcast's premiere season. It has been a great first season for us, so we'll be wrapping it up with a special episode on June 23rd. In the season finale, Jim and Michael will highlight some of the season's best content, and we'll also be having a special Q&A session. In this Q&A session, we'll answer some of your questions about the season's content, uh, the work we're doing, and the parental rights movement in general. You can submit these questions through a link on the Parental Rights Podcast's Facebook page, but just remember that the deadline for submissions is June 16th. We really want to answer your questions, so make sure you submit them as soon as possible to make sure that yours gets in the episode. We're excited to hear from you, and we're already looking forward to our second season, which is set to start on October 6th. We can't wait to hear from you, but for now, on with this episode.
1: Well, good morning. I'm Jim Mason, president of ParentalRights.org and president of uh, Parental Rights Foundation and this is our podcast uh, with me today. I'm uh, thrilled to uh, welcome William Wagner. Uh, William was uh, one of our early board members of parentalrights.org. He's got a long and distinguished career uh, working in and out of government. He's a uh, former federal judge, a federal prosecutor, distinguished professor emeritus of law, and he's currently the president of Salt and Light Global um welcome William. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Salt and Light Global to start with and how people can learn more about that. Well, Jim, it's it's great to be here, and uh,
2: thank you for having me, and thank you for what uh, you do uh, every day and, and what parentalrights.org does every day. Uh, Salt Light Global is a uh, full-time ministry that, uh, well, well, long story short, you know, we read some of the Supreme Court decisions that were coming down and, you know, I was teaching constitutional law for many years. And and we saw that these decisions on marriage and on life and on family and on parental rights, you know, they were written in such a way that had very often very little to do with the specific topics I just mentioned, but much broader uh, a, a shift in the uh, third branch of our government to actually change the way we govern our, our nation. And so we prayed about it, especially after the, the marriage case came down and, and in uh, about six weeks later, we had gotten ourselves completely debt-free and we jumped off the cliff and, and we started this ministry called Salt and Light Global uh, designed to um, bring the heart of Jesus to the culture. Uh, because we realize that, yes, we need to be fighting these courts, fighting these uh, issues in the courts, we need to be in the parliaments, we need to be in the legislatures uh, of the different states and around the different countries around the world. But at the same time, you know, we're not going to ever win uh, the battle and change the culture in a courtroom or in a parliament or in a legislature, you know, only the death and resurrection of Jesus uh, is, is going to be the answer, you know, to that. So we work very hard at bringing, you know, uh, solutions that are informed by truth. Uh, and at the same time, you know, bring that heart of Jesus to the culture. So we speak, uh, speak truth and love on these very difficult issues and help equip churches and, and uh, the citizens on good governance and, and what does, you know, what does God say about these various uh, various issues, including uh, parental rights and the the importance of a, a parent being able to raise their child and, and not have to live in a, uh, as, you know, I think the founder of this organization, you know, Mike Ferris, you know, said, you know, living under, you know, um, nannies and blue berets, you know, does, is it the UN or is it a parent that should control those? Uh, Decisions with regard to their own child; these fundamental decisions about education and about, you know, medical, you know, decisions that are are so important. And so, we do have a legal division, um, a justice center, uh, you know, underneath the Salt Lake Global uh, banner that does mostly uh, U.S. Supreme Court work and uh, state Supreme Court work. But we uh, do, in a very strategic, uh, select way, uh, some litigation as as well.
1: You're in Michigan and uh, Michigan's been much in the news for a whole host of reasons lately. But for our purposes today, uh, I'd like to talk about the uh, case that was brought uh, by seven public school students, um, alleging that the Detroit public schools had deprived them of an education that would uh, give them the basics for future success, including literacy. Um, Now that case, uh, had gone on appeal to the, the the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, and a, a three-judge panel, by a vote of two to one, in in April, ruled that children have a positive right to a public education, um, and and that's the that's the case. I'd like to get your your federal um, U.S. attorney, federal judge, federal con law professor. Views on so if you want to say more to introduce the topic and then let's let's get into it.
2: Well, you know, let's begin with uh, you know the the actual truth of the matter that these kids probably have been deprived uh, of of something, and and, you know the inner city schools in Detroit sometimes you know can be uh, anything but. You know, a school. Uh, now the but that is a whole and should that be addressed? Absolutely. Should the governor of the state and, and the mayor of Detroit and the school boards that are oversee that, the government government entities uh, that are receiving taxpayer dollars every day to run those schools, should they be held accountable and should they be, you know, wanting to fix that problem? Absolutely. But what we okay, had- So what's wrong? <laughs>
1: what, what's wrong? The court said they have to fix it. What's wrong? <laughs> and and,
2: and what, what you have here, though, is, uh, again, you know, lawyers that put on a robe, and I wore the robe, so I think I can say this. It's something happens, I think, when these judges put on a robe, and, and, and they get this thing I call robe disease, uh, because all of a sudden, this unelected judge Uh, along with a partner, because it took two, you had to get two out of the three, decided that they would sit, you know, not as judges deciding a dispute or, or resolving a case in controversy by applying the law as it is stated, when they did that, when they attempted to do that, they didn't like the law they found. And so they couldn't reach the conclusion they wanted. So they said, you know, in essence, well, we're going to change the law. We're going to make up new law so that we can have a law that we like, and then we'll apply that to resolve the case and resolve the controversy. There's a reason that our framers separated power and gave different roles to the different branches of government we separated power you know in the in the in between the federal government and the state government and we gave just very specific Uh, delegations of power to the U.S. uh, legislature, to the U.S. executive branch, and to, and to, uh, to, to the judicial branch. And all the rest of the power was reserved to the states. And so when Congress wants to regulate commerce, it can, because it can go to the U.S. Constitution, and it can see that, you know, we the people delegated to the legislative branch of the United States government the power to regulate commerce among the states. Now, education and raising children is nowhere listed in that list of constitutional liberties at the federal government level. It certainly wasn't given to the judicial branch. You don't find it in Article 3 of the Constitution. So the 10th Amendment says, you know, in the 9th Amendment, the 10th Amendment says all the rest of these powers that are not listed here and given to the federal government, they're reserved to the people or the states, which is why education is handled at the state and local level of all 50 states and in the various communities of our nation, just as it should be, just as our um, founders anticipated it would be. What these judges did, though, is they said, we don't like what uh, that, that there is something bad happening in inner city Detroit, and I've got ink in my pen and a robe on my, you know, over my suit, so I am going to deem myself, you know, czar for the day, and I'm going to change the law, and I'm going to, you know, add to the constitutional liberties listed in the U.S. Constitution a new constitutional right. Now, never mind that Article Five of the Constitution allows um, a, uh, the people to go and change the Constitution and add rights if it so desires to do so. There's a, there's a couple of different processes by which we can do that. In fact, parentalrights.org, one of the founding tenets of parentalrights.org is to amend the Constitution uh, in, in a certain way. But this judge didn't want to go through that actual process because that would involve you know the people. It would involve an actual constitutional governing that involves the states. It involves a process where we would have a constitutional um, way of changing the constitution to add this right that they wanted to add. They said it would be much faster if we just used the ink in our pen and add it to the Constitution
1: today in our judicial opinion. Let me let me talk about that a little bit, and then uh, get your thoughts. So the uh, the the biggest transgression on in this judicial opinion is it it has taken our approach to liberty in uh, America basically uh, in, in in under our constitutional structure. Uh, the, the Constitution exists, and the Bill of Rights, Fourteenth Amendment exists to keep the federal government from intruding into our zones of liberty. It doesn't guarantee that people will get basic needs like food, shelter, medical care, um, and education. So this court, in a, in a case, sort of the typical bad facts make bad law case, horrible situation in Detroit, the only way they could go about fixing it was to discover, and I put scare quotes around the word discover, a new positive right, which is distinguished from our traditional view of uh, negative rights. And they discovered this positive right that, that the kids have a right, a federally enforceable right to a public education. What's wrong with that thinking? And where does that, where, where does that thinking lead us?
2: Number one, I would um, suggest they did not discover, and I will put the scare quotes up as well. You know, they did not discover any uh, pre existing right that had been there previously undiscovered. They manufactured it, they created it out of the ink in their pen. Uh, onto the on, onto the piece of paper that it was originally uh, put onto they so they did first of all they didn't discover it they manufactured it and what's wrong with that is you are absolutely right and while the u s Constitution and the state constitutions around the country specifically delegate and give different branches of government power to enact a law if you're a congress for example and the power to execute and carry out that law if you're the executive branch all those powers are subject to limitations on our from our liberties and so the liberties that exist serve as limits on the exercise of government power. And and not not what's happening here, you have just the opposite. Here you have government using its power, here a judge, to create and bestow and give you a right. In other words, instead of rights coming from God that place a limit on the exercise of government power, in other words, government power can't use its um, authority to interfere with your free exercise of religious conscience. Instead of, instead of looking at constitutional rights this way, um, these judges have turned that on its head and said, we have power. I've got ink in my pen. I'm a judge. Therefore, instead of constitutional rights being a limit on the exercise of government power, I'm going to flip it over and I'm going to say, I'm the government. I can bestow on you rights. And today I bestow on you the right of Uh, a public education, just like my predecessors before me bestowed on you the right to kill an unborn child in the womb, and my predecessors before me um, bestowed a constitutional right um, to same-sex marriage. All these things that were never listed in the Constitution as limits on the exercise of government power, what you're seeing is um, the implementation of 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 a far leftist agenda, actually, that they can't get through the constitutional process that would involve you know using you know ha- having to go to the people and going to Congress to change it. They can't get these crazy ideas through the political process, so they're just deeming them into existence. And here's the scary part, Jim, about all that. If some government official, like a judge here, can give you your liberty, guess what they can do.
1: Okay. they can take it, it away, liberty,
2: they will be able to take it away.
1: And, and that's, that's the so here. wearing my other hat um, as vice president of uh, Homeschool Legal Defense Association, we actually submitted a friend of the court brief um, uh, last week ask, asking the uh, full Sixth Circuit to rehear this case because of the implications that a positive right to a public education that's enforceable in federal courts. We, we were concerned of the implications that would have to homeschoolers. Um, and, and so I'm happy to announce that yesterday, the uh, the Sixth Circuit decided to take the case, um, the full court, they, in, in legal parlance, they, they're taking the case in bank. And that means that the previous bad decision that we're talking about has uh, been set aside. It doesn't exist anymore. The legal precedent is no longer uh, a a valid uh, legal precedent, but the case now goes to the full 16-judge court in the Sixth Circuit. So for homeschoolers, there were implications, and then as a parental rights uh, advocate yourself, uh, when you were on the board, we talked a lot about the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, because the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child is an international treaty that the United States is not a party to, but that would impose these kind of positive rights. So what do you think about uh, that?
2: Well, that is uh, a serious concern. And, and once again, kudos to HSLDA, you know, for being right there, you know, and, and knowing what was happening in the law while it was happening and, 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 and then being very effective at um, impacting the the process. And I'm sure you will be continue to do so as the case goes forward. Um, But the the problem of things like the UN Convention, you know, on the rights of the child, oh, wow, how could you be against, you know, helping children in this case, uh, before the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, oh, how can you be against helping these poor children, you know, in Detroit? And you know, it's 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 kind of sometimes a difficult task to, you know, peel that false narrative away like you peel off a, a a a layer of an onion to get to the truth of what's really going on here. Nobody's really trying to help children. What they're trying to do is trying to um, move the decision maker with regard to what is in the best interest of a child with regard to their education from the parent to some government. Official or bureaucracy. And that's what's really going on here. And that's why homeschoolers, you know, and I would suggest, you know, Christian schools as well should be very concerned, you know, about an opinion like this or about some judge that truly believes that they have the power to add constitutional rights and then change the way that we govern this nation. You know, it, it's when, when a judge hands down an opinion like that that judge doesn't have to face an election uh, and, and, and be held accountable for the public policy that that judge just created, like, uh, like an elected official or somebody else that would gone if you had changed the, the amendment uh, through the proper constitutional process. Uh, the same thing with the Convention on the Rights of the Child because that problem hasn't gone away. You know, we still are one of the only nations that has not signed that and for good reason. You know, I would love to see other nations that have now buyer's remorse because they were lied to when they signed it uh, to, to, to back, back off from that thing. Because what that treaty would do, um, and I think it's worth mentioning here, because it's a very similar type of thing that's going on in this case here. That, that treaty then, um, because of our U.S. Constitution saying that treaties are the supreme law of the land, that once again, if we become a signatory to that, then all these local school districts that have done the right thing and that have implemented proper policy and have, you know, Michigan, for example, has one of the, the best protections in the country for parental rights in its, in its Michigan constitution and in its case law and in its, in, an, in, in its various statutes. You know, all of that becomes null and void if, a, um, if some future um, Senate of the United States decides to, you know, ratify this uh, crazy convention out there. Um, because then the, the treaty would supersede all local law. Now um, that's exactly what's happening here in this Sixth Circuit opinion. You've got, you know, states that have, put into place statutory protection and constitutional protection uh, for parents as the decision maker of what is in the best interest of their child growing up. Now, we may, as parents, decide to delegate that to the public schools and send our kids to the public schools. We may not. We may decide we want to send it to a Christian school, or we may want to homeschool our children, you know, but the decider should be the parent and not some bureaucrat. What this opinion does uh, again, with no political accountability for the judge that changed the policy, changes that policy and says, "Hey, you know, I'm the decider. I'm going to decide that a public education,
1: you know, is mandatory." And that's a it's an important thing for us to to reflect on this. And you've started the conversation with this, um, ParentalRights.org, Salt and Light Global. Are we care deeply about the welfare of children? and we want, we want the best for children. We want the best for these Detroit public school students. We don't wish them any ill, and we, we feel sympathy uh, for the condition of the education uh, structure that they were a party to. But that doesn't mean that the, the feel-good sounding remedies that are proposed, like this decision that's now vacated or the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, will lead to the good results that people say. So we oppose them not because we don't care about kids. We oppose them because we actually believe that if they're implemented, they'll lead to worse results for kids.
2: Um, history but- shows that. I think you're exactly right. You know, history absolutely shows that. Right now, I mean, part of the reason that we have what we have in those Detroit schools. I mean, it is just you know horrific when you read you know, the description of what these, you know, children are having to, to experience there. Well, guess what? That was a, those actions have consequences. And, you know, the way that we make educational, you know, choices in, in a particular school district, that, that, you know, that has a consequence. And so uh, just like, you know, if this now unelected federal judge Is allowed to, or a couple of federal judges here are allowed to prevail as the policymakers without having to be held accountable, Uh, that has consequences. And I can tell you that right now, sitting in a state, you know, we talked to, we started this talk about the times that we live in, you know, we are in a constitutional crisis in this state because the legislature, You know, has tried to exercise their authority and and the governor of the state has decided not to and said and just declared that, you know, she has the absolute authority to govern by decree for as long as long as she wants. And and um, I tell you, when you have a judge like these judges in this Sixth Circuit opinion, um, deeming that they have the right to make public policy and not be held um, accountable. and you have executive uh, folks showing that same uh, proclivity, you know, it, it really just shows how wise people like Lord Acton way back in the 1800s were when they, when they pointed out that power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Uh, and so, you know, our founders understood all that. They understood that power corrupts absolutely when you put it all in one place, and that's why they, they separated it. And, and that's why they provided for processes where people like HSLDA and parentalrights.org can, you know, petition our government for redress of grievances, uh, including through the courts. And I, I, I pray that you are successful, you know, in, in your endeavors as you do that.
1: Well, I, I do thank you. And uh, I want to respect your time this morning. Did you want to close with any uh, remarks about any of your current uh, cases you're working on or...
2: Always have something in going in the U.S. Supreme Court right now. We're we're going to be filing a brief in, um, in, in the adoption uh, case where um, Christian adoption agencies were, um, you know, banned from uh, mm. carrying out their work unless they uh, unless they gave up the free exercise of their religious conscience. Um, we've got a, a number of cases where we're um, trying to right here in Michigan you know, one of the executive orders that, that came down prohibited a parent from teaching their child at home. And, you uh. know, and this was one of the, you know, this was one of the orders, I think that was due to, you know, just bad drafting and some inadvertent, you know, things, you know, but it needed to be addressed and we got it fixed and got it addressed. And, um and, and so, you know, we have a whole lot of things going on, you know, like that, that right now. And, um, but um, we'll be continuing to support uh, you guys and all your good work out there and uh, keep up, you know, please keep up the good fight because um, sometimes, you know, Jim, I realized uh, my wife pick, picked up on this. You know, there are very few people out there, a lot more than 10 years ago or 20 years ago, but there are still very few people out there. And but for uh, those folks like you guys that get up every day uh, and, you know, make sure that you know there's going to be another generation that can have that free exercise of religious conscience and can control and direct the raising of their own children without the government you know having to come in and say no these are our children and so thank you for what you do and and just keep up the good fight and know that we um we all love you out here and support you
1: well thank you and thanks for what you're up to these days it sounds very interesting and uh important as well and I'll be in touch with you because if this case goes forward there in the Sixth Circuit, um, I'd love to, to work with you to get another amicus brief in on, the, on that merits so that the full court doesn't uh, make the same mistake as the three judge panel did. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you. And uh, once again, I'm Jim Mason, president of parentalrights.org. You can learn more about us at our website at parentalrights.org or the rights Foundation.org. We'd love to hear from you. Sign up for our email, and if you'd like to support our work, you can uh, make a donation there on the website. Uh, my guest, again, has been uh, William Wagner, at the uh, uh, president of Salt and Light Global. Thanks again, William, and we'll, uh, we'll see the rest of you at the next podcast.